marked out for you. And I'm sure you've heard sermons and maybe even read devotionals where you see the, the, the message proclaimed. And as the preacher, as he, or, as he or she proclaims the message, gives an example of running or an analogy or something along those lines. And that is the way this text has been preached for centuries. It is a rather straightforward text and easy to understand. But I will say that I came to a deeper appreciation for the text once I ran my first marathon. I'm terribly slow, uncoordinated. Thank you for not laughing. And as I was preparing and running that marathon, it was much harder than I expected. Now, Dr. Massey chooses to show a video in his class, I believe every year, of me finishing my first marathon. Him showing the video has nothing to do with the course content. (laughs) Nothing to do with the class. He just finds great humor and great joy in doing so. So I will show that video now, and in a moment you'll see, as you see people uh, coming down a road toward the finish line. I'm kind of in the middle of the road, and I I need to tell you, I thought I was running so fast at this time. I thought I was sprinting. I'm going to ask you also look to the right ahead of me. There is a man probably 85 years old that can barely walk. And as I got him in my sights, I knew I could not let this man beat me. (laughs) So if we can play that video now, you'll get an idea. That's me in the middle. You see the guy to the right with the red shirt barely moving? That's the 85-year-old guy. And I think I'm sprinting right now. And I'm going to catch him. It's going to be close. It's going to be close. I'm going to catch him. It's going to be close. I beat him! (laughs) The the really, really... uh, well, now let's, let's show the video of Dr. Massey finishing a marathon. Oh, wait, Dr. Massey never ran a marathon. <laughs> All right, but let's, so we'll go to the tape, we'll go to the videotape of uh, Dr. Massey finishing a 5K. Oh, wait, Dr. Massey never ran a 5K. So, I'm sure... <laughs> The sad thing about that video, if you looked at our numbers, mine started with a 19, and that man's, the older gentleman started with a 20, and the marathon is so large, they release us in corrals, a thousand people every two minutes. Since I had a 19, he had a 20, means he started two minutes after I did, so he technically won, but um, (laughs) just keep keep that between us. But I did learn a great deal, and I won't go over all the details of what I learned that very, very long day. I thought I'd finish in five hours, and it was like five hours and 40 minutes, and It was a hot day, and I struggled through it, and it didn't go as I had planned. And as I read this text, I am naturally drawn back to that day, and naturally drawn back to the training and how painful and difficult it was. And as we read, you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses in verse 1. Therefore, since you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and the writer is referring to what was just said in chapter 11. And as you study God's Word, as you have devotionals, and you're reading a text, I'd encourage you to read just a few verses, maybe a chapter of what came before that text. And just before this passage of Scripture in 12, 1 and 11, we read of all those, so many uh, fathers of our faith and and women and mothers of our faith that have gone before us and their faithfulness in the days. We read of Isaac, we read of Jacob, we read of others, all through chapter 11, and all who have been faithful. 
And so we have this great cloud of witnesses that has gone before us, that can cheer us on, that can challenge us, that to move on, that you, we too can finish the race that God has set before us. And though the names mentioned, whether it's Abraham or Isaac or Jacob or Joseph or Moses, all listed in chapter 11, they too did stumble along the way at times. But they finished the race that God had set before them. As I was reading through chapter 11 to prepare today, a verse stuck, stuck out to me that I won't focus on, but it really challenged me. It's verse 16b, chapter 11. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. God is not ashamed to be called their God. And I, I asked myself as I read that, and I just stopped there. I've, I've wondered if there's ever been a day where God has been ashamed to be my God. Not that he doesn't love me or care for me through all things and all times and all situations. Not only does he love me, he likes me. But I wonder if at times I've not brought honor to his name and it shames him. Therefore, run the race that is marked out for you. The Nashville Country Music Marathon had 20,000 runners and the marathon and the half marathon is run at the same time. But what happens at mile 11, all the half marathoners turn off to go toward their finish line in downtown Nashville. And those who are running the full marathon, the slow runners like myself, have a long uphill climb at mile 11 that is incredibly depressing. And there are only a few marathon runners. I think there were only 3,000 full marathon runners and like 15 or 18 or something like that, half marathon runners. So knowing how slow I am, you can imagine that I was pretty much by myself when the half marathoners turned the other way. And I could feel their energy. I could feel their presence leaving. And boy, it was depressing. See, God surrounds us with others to help encourage us through the race that he has called us to run. Not only that those who have gone before us, this great cloud of witnesses, but he surrounds you with people to help encourage you on your journey and be there to help support you and encourage you. If you do not come from a Christian home, a faith home, or don't have a church home, and maybe you don't have a current cloud of witnesses, those surrounding you and encouraging you, may I challenge you to think and pray and just reflect upon the fact that in this chapel this morning, there are those that want to journey with you that want to encourage you and challenge you and strengthen you as you run the race that God has marked out for you. At mile 14, we walked in, we ran in, well, I did walk, I walked. At mile 14, I walked into an office park, trying to run, trying to keep going, and we went up along this river, I believe it's called the Cumberland River, and there was this running path, and there aren't many runners at this point. And there are a few of us, and most of us were the, the charity runners, and what I mean by that is that most of us were running for charities. We were the slow runners. But along that stretch, it's a three-mile stretch, and there are no water stations because it's a narrow path. And I, I saw someone running this way, a, a team and training person from the organization I was running for, and he had a water bottle, and I, I cried out to him. I had a team and training shirt on as well. I said, do you have any water you can give me? And he gave me his water bottle, and I held on to that water bottle for the rest of the race. But at the same time, I kept going past and being passed by this guy named Tim. I do a run-walk. That means I run for four minutes, and then I'll walk a minute. And I do that the entire marathon. Of course, at different points in the marathon, I walked for four minutes and ran a, mile, ran a minute, but that's neither here nor there. But during between miles 12 and 15, I kept running past and then being passed by a guy named Tim who was also doing the run walk. Now, back at mile 12, Tim was really irritating me because at mile 12, he was singing. And that irritated me. I didn't want to be near him. I didn't want to be around him. In fact, I was pretty angry. But every time he passed me, I could hear him singing. And he's talking to people. He's having conversations. I could barely speak. At one point when I'm passing him, he's walking. And I realized he's singing a hymn. 
I'm like, oh, he's singing a Christian hymn. He must be a Christian. And, and you know, you get real spiritual at mile 14 because you think, if I be act spiritual right now, maybe God will help me finish. So I said, keep running, brother. Something, I use the word brother, thinking it's now Christian. And that's all I could say. Proud of you. I don't know. I said something, something silly. And he said, thanks, brother. He goes, hey, what's your name? I said, Corey. And he screamed out, I'm Tim. He said, hey, Corey, the Lord, run with a perseverance. The Lord will lift you up on eagle's wings and he will carry you. Hey, Corey, run with perseverance. The race marked out for you. And every time he passed me, a word of the Lord encouraged me to continue on in the journey. Run with perseverance, Corey. The race marked out for you. Tim would eventually move on in the race and go on ahead of me. But every time he passed me, every time I saw him, every time I heard him singing, that was that cloud of witness. That that was that witness that I needed at that time to continue on in the journey. We have a great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us in the faith. We read of them in scripture. We see them hopefully in our homes and in our churches. And then I'd like to encourage you that every day the Lord will bless you and surround you with people if you keep your eyes open for them. So run with perseverance, the race marked out for you. Throw off everything that hinders. And that's not always necessarily sin. Maybe the direction or the race that God has called you to run, there's something that you need to lay down that may not even necessarily be bad. But he's got a race marked out for you that he needs you to run and there are some things you need to lay down. There are some things that you need to surrender. There are some things that you need to give up to run the race with perseverance marked out for you because it's hindering you in what God has called you to do. For others, there is sin that so easily entangles. Sin that so easily entangles that we lose focus and we can't continue on the race that he has marked out for us because we allow sin to gain control in our lives or cause us to stumble along the way. So the writer in this book of Hebrew tells us, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So I was preparing for the marathon. I would fortunately lost a little bit of weight, not much. I think it was about 10 or 15 pounds, and I was complaining one day about, to my coaches, oh, I've only lost 10 pounds, I've only lost 15 pounds, and he gave me two weights, five each. He says, Corey, for the next mile, I want you to run with these 10 pounds of weight, and I could barely run a mile, <laughs> barely run two miles. Making the illustration, though it didn't seem like much, that 10 pounds was a hindrance, and it seemed so small, but it really was, once it was laid aside, once it was shed, if you will. I was really able to run stronger and better. And there may seem like little things in your life that God's asking you to lay down, and you're saying, God, that's so small. It's so insignificant. But if God is asking you to surrender it, I encourage you and challenge you to do so. Surrender all to the Lord. Throw off everything that hinders. So as you're doing your Bible studies and you're reading the text, you read what has come before. And we see in chapter 11, the, those that, that great cloud of witnesses that have come before us. And then I'd also encourage you to read a few verses after the text. Maybe you're studying or that's in your devotional reading that day. And here it is in chapter 12, we read about discipline. That God disciplines his children. Now, when I read this, I often thought about like, oh, I'm in trouble. The Lord disciplines me. And, and, and there is that part of that. There's some of that in there where we don't live a life that glorifies God. We, have, we sometimes pay the consequences for that. But that's really not the heart and theme of it. It's about disciplining our lives for the journey that God has called us to. And that being faithful in the everyday little things so that we can be faithful to what race he has called us to run. Verse 10. But God disciplines us for our good. 
in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful and difficult. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So in our spiritual journey, we must incorporate discipline into our life in every area. I would even say discipline in our thought life, in our decisions and choices we make. In these five years that I've been chaplainized, I've counseled couples and got to know couples. I've come to a better understanding how in those days, God is preparing you for marriage. Even if you don't marry the person you're dating. God is preparing you in these to be faithful in your thought life and in the physical aspects of your relationship to incorporate discipline. It's forms of preparation for marriage, which at times can seem like a marathon. There can be difficult days in marriages. And it's in these days, in this time of your life, and I know it's challenging, and I know it's overwhelming, and I know the church is sometimes focused too much on sexual sin as if that's the only sin. And, and I know that's not right, but I am coming to a deeper understanding that God is calling you to a disciplined life. So be disciplined and recognize that God is preparing you for the race he's marked out for you. Whether that is calling you into marriage or whether that is calling you into a single life, these days are days of discipline and preparation. So let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So I had a terrible day on the marathon course that day. Five miles into the marathon, I realized I was averaging a nine-minute mile, which is an exceptionally fast pace for me. I know that sounds slow, but I had never run five miles at a nine-minute pace. I was so excited by the crowd and the energy and the, everyone going on that I looked at my watch and realized I'm running way too fast. And in that moment, I knew I was in trouble. Because mile seven, I needed to extend my walk breaks. Not only that, it was 75 degrees, which is warm for a marathon, especially if you've trained in New York in the fall and winter and then go south to run a marathon. I hadn't run in any weather warmer than 50 degrees by the time I was, or maybe 60 degrees by the time I got to Nashville to run that marathon. And 75 degrees was hot. And I was struggling, and uh, at mile 14, Tim helped me, and then people gave me water along the way. And all along the way, there were those moments of strength and energy. But something happened at mile 20 that was very depressing. At mile 20, you go up this really long hill, and I knew at the top of that hill was Nashville First Church of the Nazarene. And at that top of that hill, I would make a right, and I was just certain, like all the other churches before us, the church members would be out, the choir would be singing, the worship team would be playing, and for some small way, even though I don't think I knew anyone at that church, I just knew that would be an encouragement to me, church family. Edie couldn't be at the, Edie couldn't be at the marathon uh, that day, though, confess, I did run the entire 26 miles thinking, surely she's going to surprise me. She's going to be somewhere along the course. She wasn't. Uh, she wasn't. Um, <laughs> We worked through that in therapy for the next few years, and we're fine now. <laughs> she was at the next one the following year. <laughs> but as I was going up this hill, and knew Nashville first was at the top of the hill, I'd make a ride at mile 20, and that would be the energy and the strength I would need. And, and actually, I, I did have one friend, Pat, I did know, attended the church, and, and I had mentioned to him in Facebook message that I'll be running by the church, and I'll be there, and I thought for sure there'd be a group. And as I got to the top of the hill and made a right and ran by Nashville First Church on my left, there was nobody there. I would have been encouraged if a guy was out mowing the lawn. Honestly, that would have been encouraging to me. And I ran by that, and I don't mean to, I ran by that that moment realizing nowhere along the rest of this route will anyone be cheering for me. I don't think Edie's coming. <laughs> and have to finish the last six miles on my own. It was heartbreaking. It was difficult, and I was already well off pace. 
At mile 21, you make a left to head out to a park, circle a park, and come back around. So as you make a left to head out to the park, you see those who are at mile 25 getting ready to finish their marathon. And as I turn the corner and see all these people running just a mile to finish their marathon and was tempted many times to just hop the divider and run with them at mile 25, (laughs) I saw some members of the Long Island team in training that I had trained with for months and seeing them so excited to finish the race. It gave me the encouragement that I needed. And I cheered for them as as they cheered for me. And literally for the next six miles were the best miles I ran the entire race. I found myself encouraging others. Again, keep in mind, we're at the five-hour mark now, and and they're just charity runners, and we're all slow, but almost almost all of us are running for someone else. We're running because we know someone that has cancer. We're running in honor of someone who has died battling a disease. We're running for someone else. And there were two college girls from the University of Iowa. And uh, I know they were for that because they had their school logo on their back. And they were running in honor of a, a friend that they had in college. And the one girl just dropped to all fours and just started throwing up. And then she got up and kept running. I just tried to encourage her. I said, you know, that's disgusting, but I just want to tell you. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I thought that, but I didn't say that. But I cheered her on and says, you get up and finish this thing. You can do it. And she did. Because she wasn't running for herself. She was running for someone else. And so for the next five to six miles, just running and encouraging others, the shade in the park was helpful as I could continue on the race marked out for me. But at mile 25, it's where God really opened my eyes. Linda was ahead of me. And Linda was running in honor of her brother who had passed away just two weeks earlier. He had gotten leukemia, and many believe that he contracted it from being um, a rescue worker after 9-11. And there was a growing number of those who were getting uh, leukemia that were working at the site, at the 9-11 site, um, in the recovery effort. And she had, his name on her, she had his name on her back, and watching her run, and she had a bad knee, and she was limping along, and she was in so much pain, but she was just determined to finish. I'm coming to a deeper understanding that the race God calls us to run is not for ourselves. It's for others. Whether it is that brother who had passed away, or whether it is your classmates or your doormates or people in your church or people in your family, our faith in following Christ is not for ourselves. It is for others. That is the race marked out for us. So we must, as it says in verse 2, fix our eyes upon Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, looking to the life of Jesus and allowing his life to be a reminder to you, to encourage you to go on, to continue on, and knowing that Jesus has gone before us, just like those, that great cloud of witnesses, just like family members and friends who encourage us along the way. Jesus knows what you are going through. Jesus knows the challenges and pain that you are experiencing, for he experienced in himself. And he went to the cross, not for himself. He went for others. He went for you. He went for me. He went for, for all of eternity, for others. And so we fix our eyes on Jesus and live in the same way. And run the race marked out for us in the same way that Jesus lived. The pioneer and perfecter of our faith. We consider him who endured such opposition from sinners as we read in verse 3. 
Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary, so that you will not lose heart. Do not grow weary. Do not lose heart. That's what this Holy Wednesday passage is encouraging us and reminding us. Do not grow weary. Do not lose heart. There is a great cloud of witnesses that have gone before you and you can see it in God's holy word. Do not grow weary. There are people surrounding you, even in this moment, that are willing to journey with you and walk with you. And I wouldn't be surprised if there are a few here that would even run marathons on your behalf if it was needed. You are not alone. Don't grow weary. Don't lose heart. Learn to discipline your life and run in a way that God has called you to run. Throwing off anything that hinders, any sin that entangles. Laying it all down and say, Lord, I completely surrender to your will and to your way. Not to live for my life just so I can get saved, but to live my life so that you can advance your kingdom through me. Yes, this is a wonderful text for Holy Wednesday. Because in the next 48 hours of Jesus' life, we know that all would abandon him. Just a few days earlier on Palm Sunday, they're waving palm branches as he enters in on a colt, a a humble animal, and they're waving Hosanna in the highest. And a few days later, everyone abandons him. Everyone forsakes him, even his closest disciples. It reminds us to run faithfully and not give up when the road is difficult. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is a good text before we come to Monday, Thursday, or Good Friday. The disciples who were with him for three years, they saw him heal people. They know he raised people from the dead. He had power over nature, and they witnessed it. And when the trials came, and when people said, is this really your God? This is who you're going to follow? You're a follower of Jesus the Messiah? After all they've seen him do, they abandoned him. How quickly we abandon our Lord. Yes, this is a good text for Holy Wednesday. Have there been times where the crowd has been so great of saying crucify him that you too have maybe in the way that you've lived said the same? Or lived in a way that said, I do not know the man. This is a good challenging text for us today, even though it's been preached countless times. It reminds us to run the race that Christ, that Jesus has marked out for us with perseverance, being surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, holding fast to those who follow in our church communities and our church families so they can encourage us and we can encourage them. So we must remember to fix our eyes on Jesus. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So as we go to the Lord's table this morning, Jesse will be playing a song, playing and singing a song called, Oh God of Mine. It is a song of recommitment. A song of dedicating one's life to follow. And as we go to this table, maybe you just need to be reminded to keep your eyes on Jesus. You're already following Jesus. You're a follower. You, you want to live your life to glorify God. Maybe you just needed to be reminded this morning to keep your eyes on Jesus and to remember those that have gone before you. Or maybe there are those, as you come to the table, maybe you need to once again fix your eyes on Jesus. Maybe at times you've been living in a way where you proclaim, I promise you, I tell you, I do not know the man. As you come to the Lord's table, 
you can make that recommitment. To say, Lord, I will run the race that you have marked out for me, and I will be faithful. Finally, maybe there are those who that have never chosen to accept Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. Maybe there are those that never even heard that the Lord has a plan and purpose for your life and a course marked out for you. This can be your moment as you take these elements. This can be your moment, we believe, where you accept Christ as Lord and Savior and say, Yes, Lord, I will run the race that you have marked out for me. As we go to the Lord's table today, I ask you to reflect upon these things. I ask you to reflect whether you're coming to know Christ for the first time or whether you're deciding I will no longer live in a way that says I do not know the man. I will live in a way now that says he is my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ, and I will not be ashamed. Or whether you're coming just to to recognize and acknowledge that you need his presence every day in your life. May we all fix our eyes on Jesus because of his love for all of creation was so great that he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Our lack of passion for Christ and his work is a lack of understanding of what Christ did on the cross. May the Lord, by the power of his Holy Spirit, open our hearts and minds to come to a deeper and better understanding this Holy Wednesday of all that Christ did for us on the cross. A reading from 1 Peter that I think summarizes it well and that was sent out to you yesterday in the prayer email. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. For you are like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer overseer of your souls. May the communion service come forward this morning as we prepare to distribute the elements. And as the tray is...